Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Episode 10 already. Glad you're still with us. Thanks for sticking by. Today's conversation is with Kaylee. She's a second year ECT who's changed careers to become a teacher. Oh, and she's also completing a master's at the same time. Okay, so hi. Today I am here talking to Kaylee. And Kaylee, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, no problem. So uh, my name is Kaylee, and I'm an English teacher at a local authority school in the north of England. Um, I'm in my uh, just coming up to the second end of my second year is the ECT, ECF, the second year ECT. Um, And I've uh, changed career. So I've come into teaching quite late in the grand scheme of things. Um, I was actually, uh, I've got a, even though I'm teaching English, I've actually got a business degree because I didn't have a clue what to do when I I finished um, coming up to the end of sixth form. And I just figured business was a bit of a, uh, like a coverall, not too specific, but not too broad either um but when I decided to come into teaching it it was a no-brainer English was going to be the subject I chose because that was my favorite subject at school um but I've worked in recruitment consultancy I've owned my own coffee shop I had my own catering business for several years um I then got into hospitality management and it was actually thanks to the pandemic and the lockdown that I got into teaching um because I was I'd been thinking about doing it for ages but it was um taking the leap of becoming a student again (laughs) after having, you know, what had been at the time, you know, what I thought was a secure, well-paid job. And suddenly that had gone, thanks to COVID. So I enrolled on my um, SKIT course in 2020. Unfortunately, it worked out nicely that just as everything, the schools opened up, I was able to get in and do my training. So in a way, looking back, I think they, they probably did me a favour, um, <laughs> you know, uh, letting me go at the beginning of the pandemic. So, um, yeah, and, and honestly, I feel like I've really found my niche in teaching. So I'm really happy and I'm really excited about the career ahead of me. Amazing. What a variety you're bringing to it and like to have come with from such a different background to what you're now doing. So I'm sure that influences your work in various different ways. It'll be interesting to, to have a little chat about. So the phrase from page to practice, what does that phrase mean to you? Um, well, to me, I think teaching as a profession and I think possibly having come into this, having not gone straight from university PGCE into teaching, um, you're right in, in the sense that because I've I've worked in other industries, I feel like it does give you some perspective on, um, uh, you know, what, what the job entails, but also the value of the job as well. And I think that as teachers, we've got a duty to keep up with the research in the same way that you would expect medical professionals and, and legal professionals to keep up with the most up-to-date research in their field so they can best advise their clients um teaching we we should teach treat teaching in the same way in that we are professionals we are highly educated people who are here to pass that knowledge on to the next generation so um being evidence informed I think is incredibly important but it's a it's a phrase that gets bandied around quite a lot at the moment it's very on vogue to be evidence informed as a teacher but um it's got to be applicable to teaching practice because, you know, uh, with the best will in the world, you can you can read a piece of research or you can read a book on teaching and think, you know, that's fantastic. You know, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. But then unless there is that bit of it that says here is how you do that and here's what it looks like in a classroom, um, it's a way, it, you know, not that it's a waste of time learning it, but but it doesn't help you become a better teacher. So to me, page to practice means it's, having the, you know, keeping up to date with the research, but then also being able to apply it and and improve your teaching as a direct result. 
you're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Moving into the kind of main body of our conversation today, I think part of what you wanted to to talk about is the fact that you're currently studying for a master's, is that right? Yes, because of course I didn't have enough to do <laughs> learning how to be a teacher for two years. I thought I'd do, you know, <laughs> an extra year, extra couple of years at university as well. So is it a master's in education? It is, yeah. 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 So what, what made you do it? Well, again, because I'd find it very difficult to say no to anything. Um, it was, a, it was actually my, um, uh, what do they call it now? ECF provider who were doing a pilot scheme where they said um, that, that they were looking for ECTs um, to, to do a master's programme, because I think traditionally you tend to find it's the more experienced teachers that do it, um, possibly because they're at a point where they, you know, they know how to be a teacher at that point. They've got the experience where the teaching comes a bit more naturally and, and they, they know what they're doing. So they tend to be the ones who then feel that they've got the time or they want to develop further so I think the idea was is that because the ECF framework is now very much the um, the research base of teaching and that's how they're training new teachers now is I think their attitude of is well get the the new teachers in doing the further education because then they will be even better equipped at the start of their career rather than wait until they've sort of um you know, trial and error, uh, in at the deep end and see if they swim sort of thing, try and give them the tools that they need at the very beginning. So um, it was it was offered and it was um, subsidised by the uh, ECF provider. And so I thought, yeah, why not? So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing, I've, I've now, I'm, I'm just about to start my dissertation so that's the bit that's making me really nervous at the moment. That was the tough bit, isn't enormous. it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had the same thing. So it's interesting because when I was an NQT, well, when I did my training, did a PGCE, um, they offered us to to transfer credits. So it was still a, an option to do it, but not many people were were hugely interested. Out of the cohort that I trained with, I think it was the only one who was like, oh, yeah, I'm actually quite interested in that. Um, do you think that the the way teacher trainees are engaging with training and then the ECF means people are more engaged with that? Would How was the interest? Are there lots of people that took it up or are there not so many of you? Well, similar situation um, to as yourself, actually, is I think there was only me and one other person who ultimately went forward for the Masters. Um but I think that comes pro- probably the, the sense of overwhelm because I, I agree completely with what they've tried to do with the early career framework. And they've tried to break it down and, and make it much more supportive, spread it over two years, access to a mentor to, to help and support you. It's fantastic. I've had a brilliant experience of the ECF in my school setting, but there is still an enormous amount to learn and to to get your head around and um you know all this stuff on cognitive load and working memory it doesn't apparently doesn't apply to early career teachers and teachers in general because you know we're, we're, we're getting all this information about you know not overloading the students and yet that's exactly what they're doing to teachers most of the time but you know even though they're trying to avoid that now it happens because it's the I have never known a profession like it where there is so much responsibility and so much you've got to know and so many different things. You know, you, I, I don't think anyone who's not worked in teaching fully gets how um, the, the spectrum of the job that you've got to do. And especially if you've got pastoral jobs thrown in there as well. Like if you're a tutor, it's a totally different ball game to being a classroom teacher. Um, and that's before you you start taking on responsibilities in the school as well. So um, I, I, I get why there's not as many people that the interest going forward for the masters was not as high, simply because I think you know people just go you know it's one one thing too many. I think the main reason why I felt able to do it was I think again having come from um, a different. Uh, a non-teaching background in my previous careers is that 
one of the things it's really given me is is organization organizational skills and so I I think I didn't have to learn how to organize my time I didn't have to um you know figure out the scheduling that all came quite naturally so I I knew straight away when my free time was the time I needed to do my planning the time I was going to need to actually do my job and I felt that I I did have the extra time to be able to commit it's not been easy don't get me wrong (laughs) I've had to ask I've had to ask for several deadline extensions (laughs) but it's it's got done and um yeah I think it makes that that has made a difference for me now picking up on something you said a little while ago actually I think it's really it's it's reassuring to hear you coming from a different background and saying about the amount of you know plates people are spinning in teaching and how difficult it is and how people don't necessarily know that until you've tried it because it's all well and good for teachers to say that but if you know if we've not done anything else and people think well how do you know you know you've not done my job for someone to for career changes to come in and go actually you know what these teachers aren't making this up it's probably fairly reassuring yeah definitely (laughs) so um, how are you finding the masters then What, what you know how's it tell us a little bit about it how's it been going um yeah it's it is like you know the whole being a student whilst also holding down a full time job is is a tough is is a tough act really <laughs> so that's so that's been challenging um, and I think as well there's there's of course been times where I've been working over my over the holidays and I'm just thinking oh you know why did I sign up to do this um, but I just love the learning aspect of it and I think that's maybe why I felt like such a, a, a teaching has been such a good fit for me. Now, I think if I'd gone into teaching straight out of university, I probably wouldn't have lasted as long. But because I've gone in later, um, now there's there's a, a great this greater emphasis on uh, being evidence informed and research based practice. I just really enjoy that aspect of it because I I like learning why we're doing things that we do, and I've found um, quite. Some some things are still like the more traditional approaches to teaching. There's there's still a lot that's still there, but um, I've noticed a big di- some big differences between um, my experience of school and how we're being trained to teach kids now. And I can really see the benefits of why we've changed to do things that way now. And thinking, wow, if if this had happened when I was at school, I probably would have found that subject a lot easier or I I would have um, maybe been less stressed about revision and and getting ready for GCSEs and things like that. So uh, it's definitely been changes for the positive. And and for me, that was why that was what really attracted me to doing the masters because it's the, it's the nuts and bolts of teaching as well that I want to learn as much as I can about and it sounds trite to say but you don't go into teaching because you just you want a job you 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 go into teaching because you want to be a teacher so ultimately you want to do the best possible job you can um and the research does really help you do that if if you if you get the you know easy digestible versions of it yeah (laughs) absolutely so what do you like in terms of the masters and how things go well what do you feel it's giving you do you feel you're getting more of the theoretical side of things do you think it's having an impact on your practice or a balance I think it's a bit of both I think that the beauty of the masters is it, it goes a bit it allows you to go beyond the theory and actually do the practical application as well so um as part of the, the dissertation aspect of it which is the big chunk of it at the end it's um it's it's the single highest uh, you know like the section that you get the biggest marks in if you like the biggest contributor to the overall thing um it involves a research project so you actually have to do real live research in your school setting it's not just doing all the reading around that so for instance my my master's is going to be on um reading in schools and trying to improve students engagement with reading um whether that's reading for play you know I'd planned it to do reading for pleasure, but I'm actually about to take on a TLR responsibility with the, the lit, uh, line managed by our literacy lead, which is about reciprocal reading. Um, and I can explain more about that if you if you want me to. But Yeah, um, go for it. Yeah, ba- basically it's just um, interventions that have previously been used as small scale small group interventions trying to like roll those out across a whole school not just in English but in across the curriculum 
to really encourage students to engage with reading and um, improve their literacy as a result, improve their vocabulary. And it's not just that it's not just those um, that we're doing in the school, but that's what I'm focusing on with my dissertation. So to go back to your original question, it, it's that fact that the, it, the master's is interesting um, and highly engaging because you can see the direct results. It's not just a off the top of your head project, theoretical project. It's actually something that you are going to be doing with your students in your school, seeing whether or not it works. And then, of course, you've got to do the big, you know, written report afterwards, which is, you know, the less exciting part. But um, if the school is supportive of you doing your master's, then ultimately they're going to be interested in what you've found out. So that's an opportunity for you to feel like you've really contributed something to the school as well. Um, and just generally, I think it gives you a huge amount of confidence because as someone coming into it later on, I always find this really weird. I don't know if any other career changes would feel the same way, but I find it really odd when you're talking to somebody who's like 10, 15 years younger than you and they've been a teacher for like three times as long as you have. And you just feel, you know, like um, you, you you go in feeling like you're this really experienced person and suddenly you're the literally the new person who has never done this before. It's a very strange dynamic. Um, I found quite quite strange. So I think it's given me confidence to speak up as a teacher and be able to um, say, well, you know, I've done this work with my class and here's what I found. Um, and because you can prove that it works or because you've got some um, practical application of what you're saying, then of course it's things that you can actually say, well, here's something I've done. It's worked well. Can I share it with you? And that's what that's part of what good teaching is as well, I think, is the whole sharing good practice and uh, not just keeping things to yourself. Absolutely. I think you made a couple of really good points there. The, the thing about confidence, I've said this before when I've spoken to people about um, the, the Charter Teacher Qualification, the level of professional confidence that people have felt coming out of those kinds of qualifications and going, not only am I doing these things, but I know why I'm doing them and I can justify it and I, you know, I, I've read around it and I feel able to share it with people. So that professional confidence thing is so important as is the sharing it with other people because if we're not sharing it with other people then you know no one else is getting things out of it are they but also the the realizing that that qualification that work that you're doing is directly applicable to your work in the classroom and I think that's something sometimes people miss that they go work and they go masters separately to each other and don't think about how actually they can take that that particular work they're doing and and really make it you know have an impact in their classroom and on their their work so like your example with your TLR is fantastic you know that you can really blend those two things together yeah and um as well I think something that perhaps people don't realize is that you think you're surrounded by kids all day but you don't actually spend a huge amount of time with other teachers and and it it, it depends on your setting of course everywhere's different um, I work in a really supportive depart department and we, we've all got each other's backs and it's been, you know, it's felt like that from the word go, but you can go all day without seeing anybody else because, you know, if you've, if you've got three, four lessons in a row and then it's lunchtime and you're all on different, a knock-on effect of COVID is we've got like three different lunch periods at school now. So different year groups have lunch at different times. So depending on which period your lunch falls in, depending on where you have your PPAs, you could go all day long and not actually see another adult, <laughs> even if you do go into the staff room because everyone's on um, different schedules. So as a result of that, I think, is is um, something that perhaps I've not experienced because of, co of COVID, just, you know, keep mentioning the pandemic, but it has had a massive effect on teaching, is we don't have maybe that staff room culture anymore where you've got all the teachers on lunch at the same time who go into the staff room and just all sit and mingle and have a chat. Maybe some schools still do that, and but certainly from my experience, all the schools I trained in and the one I work in now, that went after COVID, unfortunately. And so um, you, you might tend to find that teachers, it's not that they're like deliberately keeping information to themselves. They just don't have the opportunity to talk to their colleagues. So something that our school's done, which which they've done they're doing the best they can with with limited time availability but 
um, I hear it on podcasts all the time where uh, the the, the teachers who were, who were, you know, really interacting with the research all say the same thing is having that dedicated department time or that dedicated CPD time where you get together with other teachers and you talk about what you're doing and what works well and what you've read and, and what you are working on specifically with your classes um, and not feel embarrassed about sharing your resources or what you found out. And that is a culture that I think we really needs to be promoted in schools because it's just so powerful when you've got really experienced, really knowledgeable people. Just get them in a room together and talk <laughs> and, and find out what they're doing and go, oh, that's a great idea. How would do you think that work would work in my English class? Or, oh, we've been doing this work in English on vocabulary. Um, why don't, you know, have you ever thought about doing it this way to try and engage you know, students in science with the key vocabulary, you know, and it's, there's just so so much power to be had in uh, collaborating in that way. Those opportunities are so important, aren't they? I remember when I was training, so I trained on a um, on school direct, so like a skit-based programme, um, and we had that one day a week where, <clears throat> with that one day a week where we all met um, and we all got to just speak we got to talk to each other so much on those days and it was so valuable and then suddenly we're thrown into NQT and we're not we weren't doing ECF in the way it is now and so that just left that went and you lose that kind of ability to to bounce ideas off each other and to talk about you know what you're working on and I think somewhere along the line people become a little bit scared of talking about what they're working on because they they think they need to be seen as being well I'm experienced now that that's I'm not working on things I'm I'm experienced and I need to be seen as competent and then there must be something we can be doing to encourage more experienced teachers to to discuss practice a bit more and to 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 feel able to share in that way I think yeah because inevitably there's there's going to be some reluctance you know you can you can see it like not not and and it's no disrespect to more experienced teachers but I think my personality is very much the type of of, um, well, let's give it a go, you know, if it's new and exciting and, you know, let's try it. Um, and sometimes my colleagues have to say, well, hang on a minute, <laughs> we, you know, one step that we don't need to do, you know, don't change it if it isn't broken sort of thing. Um, but the flip side of that is you obviously have some teachers who will have been teaching for years and years and years, and they're very good and they get very good results. And the kids really like having them as a teacher. But, um, you know, the they, they might consequently be a little bit reluctant to engage with new ideas or new initiatives. Um, and actually, you, you find that some of the buzzwords that are coming out now, they've, they've existed for years. They've existed for a long time. They just weren't called that. You know, so um, retrieval practice, for example, you know, that's something that will have been around since teaching began but it's now called retrieval practice and we talk about it all the time um so I think sometimes it's just aligning the uh the the practice with the new name for it and it suddenly doesn't become quite such a big deal to change um and I actually read um a really interesting uh article that Peps McRae put out you know he's doing those um what are they call him? Snacks. Oh, is it? evidence nuggets or Ev- something like that. Yeah, something like snacks, that. Snacks, snacks, evidence not nuggets. snacks. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's right. <Evidence. laughs> same same lines. <laughs> yeah, evidence snacks. Yeah, and he was saying about habit forming, and it was it was so true. He was saying like, um, you know, the great teachers, and and um, when you are feeling at your most confident in the classroom is when you form those habits, and. It, it means that teaching seems much easier. It's reducing your cognitive load. You don't have to worry about what they do when they come in. You've got your routine and all the students know what to expect, when to do it. You know what you're doing at all times. And that's when it's like that golden moment of teaching where you can focus on actually delivering the instruction. You don't have to worry about anything else. But the problem with a habit, it's very difficult to change. So if anything comes along and you do need to do something different, it can be incredibly difficult. And I've noticed that having just after two years, you know, when somebody says, you know, like there's a new, um, like, for instance, we've recently had our Ofsted. So when you've suddenly got to do 
Ofsted have said we need to do more of this and suddenly it's a big deal trying to incorporate that into everybody's lessons um so we we do ask a lot of teachers and uh there is a there is a lot to do and a lot to think about all the time um and but but again that's that's why I think there needs to be more recognition of teachers as a a really highly skilled profession and not just people who know a lot about Shakespeare or people who are really good at math or, you know, um, people who decided they didn't want to work in a science lab anymore and they decided to be a teacher instead. You know, there's so much more to it than that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to go back a little bit to when you talk about your master's. It occurred to me, I wanted to ask, the type of reading you're doing to research for the dissertation, are you finding that's mostly academic reading? Or are you able to draw on kind of that wealth of, of slightly more informal, edgy books that are out there now as well? Are you, are you finding those useful things out there? Or Definitely. Um, and I think the actually... When we're saying, like you say, the edgy books where where somebody's disseminated the the literature down into a very kind of straightforward way, it is still based on incredibly solid information. So um, yeah, I've been I've been um, eating those up because they've done all the hard work for you to a certain extent. You know, especially when you've got books like um, you know, like Rosenshine is is a is a, a huge. Uh, foundation is the main foundation of the of the early career framework but then you've got um authors like tom sherrington who take rosenshine and go right here's what it would look like in a classroom so it's it's based on the solid you know the really um robust literature but then you can go well uh you know obviously we this is what we actually tried in the classroom based on rosenshine and we found this so yeah you're right you can you can do the sort of more anecdotal experience based um, feedback if you like to, to discuss what you're doing, but then you can always link it back to the, the the key cornerstones of the research. So it saves you having to trawl through the thick academic papers. Um, and fortunately, I mean, I, I, I'm cheating a little bit. I feel I'm cheating a little bit because I've picked a, a focus of my dissertation where there's, there is a lot of research out there about what I'm doing. But ironically, not very much that's based in schools. So hmm, That's lot, often the way, isn't it? Yeah. So, so a lot of the, um, I think maybe that's the sort of irony of the dissertation uh, process or the, the higher education process is that you've got to base all of your you've got to have this really um, in-depth literature review before you take part, but you're, you're still going into it going, well, this is what the theory says, but I've got no idea if that's actually going to work. Or uh, so, so you are flying blind, really, and I think that's what we were saying before about the page to practice. The research is one thing, the theory is one thing, but you have to be able to see it applied to know whether or not it actually works and, and whether it's of any value. I think it's good for teachers to know as well to talk about another way that the masters is is more accessible than they might think in that you can go to those those more popular books that are around at the moment you can read that you can look through the references you can go for the academic articles that are in those references and it's not it's not the same as when you did your undergraduate degree for from lots a lot of teachers who are further into their career whose experience of doing maybe dissertations or research at undergraduate level would be vastly different to what is available you know now uh, or and in in teaching especially i think it's important to to highlight that it is more accessible than maybe some people think it is definitely um and and some some examples that are really good for that is as as like starting points if you like to dip your toe in the water is there's great books by um, Bradley Bush and the Learning Scientists and, and Inner Drive. So you've got the blog, the Inner Drive blog, but then they've also put together that fantastic bright pink book of 99 studies that every teacher needs to know. Um, and it's just literally a one-pager of here's what the research says, here's why it works, here's what you, you know, why you might want to do it in your classroom. And it's just so accessible. And that is what, we need really isn't it as I don't think we should devalue the edu books being um, you know the, the easy to read easy to access because that's what you need sometimes you just you just need a one-page document that says 
oh, you want to get better at this? Right, here's what you need to do. Here's what the research says. Now go off and, and have a go, you know. So um, the more of that, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, to uh, to highlight how much I agree with you, I've actually got a conversation booked in with Bradley Bush in a couple of weeks' time <gasps> oh, about their newer book, The Teaching and Learning Illuminated, because that's yes. exactly, it's exactly what it says on the tin, isn't it? You know, from page to practice, they've taken it, They've put it, they've illuminated it for teachers yeah. to understand it better and show how it's going to work. So, no, I, I totally agree with you that what they're doing is is exactly what we want. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a big fan of podcasts as well because, you know, in the drive to work every every day, um, you can pop a podcast on and you can listen to some fantastic professionals just chatting about what what is going on, what the research says, and also how it's being applied in other schools. Um, so I'm a big fan of of getting some of those podcasts downloaded um again tom sherrington has got one yeah mind the gap uh, mind the gap and then there's also um there's uh, craig mr barton's maths pod- podcast yeah. is is another fave um even though it's not just about maths but <laughs> he talks about absolutely everything and there's a um one called tea and teaching as well i can't remember the yeah. names of one of them's called I Arthur. spoke to Arthur from yeah. Teen Teaching just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So so shout out there because they've they've helped massively. And I think as well, um, for new teachers, that is a big tip as well, is just it, it can feel quite overwhelming. There's a lot of information out there, but just listening to other teachers talk it through makes it seem a lot less scary and a lot more accessible because it's not it's, it's probably nothing you don't already know uh, in the sense that you've been through it yourself. We've all been to school, so we know what it's like. But now you're looking at it from the other side of the, like, literally the other side of the classroom. Um, so now it, it's just about, you think, okay, oh, so that's why we do it that way. Oh, that's why the teacher used to get us to do this or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, so podcasts are great and you know when you're out walking the dogs and whatever you know you don't have you don't necessarily have to commit that time either to sitting down and reading something you can just let it flow into your ears yeah I think podcasts are a good example I hope of what has made lots of CPD a lot more accessible for teachers and and like you said because you can you can do it whilst you're doing other things and you don't have to commit that time to it I think it's it's a huge difference isn't it if anybody wanted to get in contact with you at all are you on Twitter or what's the best way they can kind of get hold of you yeah um I I try and keep my socials to a minimum because I have an addiction problem so um I just have Twitter so it's it's at queen underscore kale, K-A-Y-L, 19, number 19. Lovely. So if anybody wants to carry on any of those conversations we've started off there, that's how they can get hold of you. Yes. And and obviously just say, if anyone's interested about finding out, you know, if, if they're in ECT or um, interested in, in taking on a master's and anybody, you know, is a bit concerned about taking it on, wants to ask some questions, by all means, drop me a DM. I really don't mind. That's great. Thank you. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. Find the link in the show notes for this episode. So we move on now into our final section uh, that we're calling the CPD Library. Um, And it's a list of categories. um, And I'd like you to give kind of what comes to mind when I say that category. So it might be a book, it might be a podcast, it could be a person, I guess, that you follow on Twitter, but what comes into what comes to mind? So the first one is first got you into evidence informed practice. Um, well, I'm not just saying this because I'm here, but um, your page to practice podcast really helped really made a difference. Um, because again, when you when you're out there searching for um, how how to do this for the first time it would you know I, I was I was really disappointed when you said it wasn't going to run that way anymore because it helped so much um just uh you know books that I'd I'd seen I'd come across but of course didn't have time to read myself so again it just it it just gave you that little nugget of information that you could then take away and find out more about that was I found that really helpful 
Oh, that's great. Thank you. No, I, I hope that this new format can help people in a similar way. It's just uh, the uh, the previous format was so reliant on multiple voices every week. And with the way things are going with teachers and, and workload and everything that we've just discussed, I was having a really tough time getting people to come on. Whereas this, you're my um, 11th, 12th person to have a conversation like this. So it's, you know, it's giving it a new lease of life, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> so the <laughs> the next one resonated with you the most. Uh, uh, I've because of, again because of the the research I've been doing for my um, for my masters is the work of Alex Quigley has has featured very highly um, in it with with his book the vocabulary uh, sorry closing the vocabulary gap and closing the reading gap and and again it, it resonates because it it speaks of a very similar um, cohort of students that, that we have in our school. We're, we're in an area of, of relatively high deprivation. It's not as bad as it was, but we have got, we're probably national, just over the national average for the percentage of um, pupil premium students. So, and, and again, we have seen a big impact of um, missed education as a result of the pandemic. So his work Again, it's so relevant. It's it's based entirely on on the facts and the research, but it's also very relevant to the setting that I work in. So that has been really helpful to almost like just just take what he, he's saying and um, apply it to the setting that we're in. So that was the one that probably resonated the most for me. I wish I'd been taking a tally chart of certain names and when people have mentioned <laughs> them because I think Craig Barton has come up in almost every episode and Alex Quigley must be a close second yeah <laughs> um the next one is challenged your views probably um the famous Miss Snuffy Catherine Burblesing um I, I struggle I struggle with her a little bit because I, I see what I, when she talks about um Michaela schools and the things that they're doing, and you think, wow, that seems extreme. But they're obviously getting such fantastic results. So you can't you can't argue with it, really. There's like, you know, hard, stone-cold evidence. Um, I think a lot of what she says about the traditional values of teaching, I do agree with things like, you know, just expecting good manners, respect, um, a certain standard of behaviour with students. Because uh, I don't know about yourself, but... I deal with some students on a daily basis and I think I would not have dared to, to talk to my teacher that way. Um, if it had ever got back to my mum, woe betide me, you know, that sort of thing. And that just seems to be much more, there seems to be much, much more less respectful attitude towards authority now, I suppose, not just teachers. Um, but again, then I, I hear a talk at like the conservative party conference and I think, yeah, no, 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 that, that, no, <laughs> no, that's 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 not what how I would have put that. But again, I think we need to be careful about writing anybody off just because they're saying something that we disagree with. You know, part of being um, an educator and part of being um, informed is it's not just the things that you that fit with what you think. You've got to you've got to look at everything from every possible perspective. So people like. Catherine Berbelzing, I think, are essential in in the same way that the Alex Quigleys and the um, and the Bradley Bushes are, because they offer a complete, even if it's the two extremes, it offers a a, a, a complete picture of what teaching is like or could be like. Yeah, you're right. It's so important to engage with the things that challenge us. Just because we don't necessarily agree with them doesn't mean that they're uh, they're wrong. Um, so, had the biggest impact on your practice? I would probably say um, Kate Jones and the work she's done on retrieval practice. That is probably the single th biggest impact on my um, teaching because that's that's something that I am doing on a on a regular basis. Um, and trying, you know, really trying to incorporate that, and the difference it's made with my students has been it, it. On the surface of it, it sounds really simple, but obviously, Kate, I think Kate does a great job with her books of making it sound very accessible and very straightforward. But the um, it's all based on almost almost simple to the point of common sense. But unless you make the 
um, make the concerted effort to include it in your teaching as regularly as, as you should, you, you're missing a trick, really. You, you're missing out on on um, on on a lot, I think. So that's some that she's probably and her books have probably made the the biggest impact on my day to day teaching. Okay, now this one, I think you bring a different perspective to the people I've spoken to so far, because the people I've spoken to otherwise have all had, you know, five, six, seven, 10, 15, 20 years worth of teaching experience behind them. Now, this one is, should be required reading for an early career teacher or a trainee? Ooh, um, well, we've already talked about Bradley and, and Inner Drive, that science of learning, the pink book. The 99 Studies is is fantastic. But also Jade Pierce and her book, What Every Teacher Needs to Know, similar kind of thing. You know, she just takes, um, disseminates some very key areas of research and um, breaks it down into highly practical applications based on the fact that she's a teacher and she's done it herself. She's taken the research, she's applied it in her school, and then she's now passing that knowledge on to other teachers. Um, and again, it's it's uh, it's kind of a broad spectrum of teaching as well, not just, uh, you know, Alex, Alex Quigley's books are fantastic, but they're very literacy focused, which is great if that's what you're looking for. But if uh, the J- Jade Pierce's work, um, it's it covers and it covers lots of different aspects of teaching as well. Um, and I definitely recommend anyone new new to the new to the profession to check out her work as well. Now, that is interesting because what you've gone for is totally different in that all of the others in their, you know, experience with trainees or in their, you know, where they feel they are at go, oh, and they've all mentioned either books that are to do with behaviour or they've mentioned books that are very like, here's a thing, try this thing, very like specific walkthroughs and that kind of thing. And you've gone for uh, an option that's much more kind of a nice, a, a bigger, a bigger picture kind of thinking, which I think is really interesting. Just the contrast in that, actually, what you're, you know, what from what you've read and where you're feeling, where you're at now, going actually, no, what I think everyone should read is is something a bit different to that. So it's just, um, yeah, no, an interesting different perspective um where's the next one? Oh, inspired you right um inspiring i love um i've really enjoyed uh jenny webb's blogs and um online stuff the funky pedagogy um uh well she's at, uh, that's that's the business name that she's got isn't it funky pedagogy she's just I just love how sort of upbeat and enthusiastic she she seems to be about everything teaching related. Um, I actually she actually came to to my school the year before I started, <laughs> so I was oh, really no. I was really disappointed. I was like, <laughs> oh no, because um, again, I think I think she was the very first person I ever. I can't remember which podcast it was on, but I remember her being the the guest on the very first kind of education podcast, and I just think she's got such a such an inspiring kind of enthusiastic you can tell she just really she's she's really into everything that she does but there's a purpose behind it as well um so she's definitely someone very inspirational to listen to um and again not not necessarily related to research but mr nqt on on twitter um he's again just so generous with his time and um the the advice he gives out so that's maybe something else to check out you know if, if you're anybody new coming into the profession uh is is to just go he, he's his twitter feed is great to follow for just tips and advice and feedback on anything that you might be going through as a new teacher as well so he's someone else that i'd i'd uh, give a shout out to oh two really good recommendations there so just a few more left um most recent so your most recent read i guess uh most recently um yeah well I've been doing quite a bit of of uh, reading into um reciprocal reading because that's what what we're going to be focusing on um so oh, and you know the the name of the the name of the organization has just completely gone out of my head I can remember the gentleman's name but I can't remember the name of the name of the you can always send it to me later and I can put it in the uh, notes if yeah. people are interested. Yeah, it's um 
But anyway, so so uh, reciprocal reading has, has started off um, as as this uh, quite intervention based idea where you know you get a small group of students in a room and the idea is you is you go through a text and it's what you know you, there's an element of de- like decoding what's going on but then predicting what might be happening um actually asking each other questions about it so it's a bit like a little book club you know they they get a text and then they they sort of have a discussion about the text and and how they can then they personally react to it and, and engage with it um, so we've been doing a lot of reading about that, but honestly, oh, I can I can see the initials in my mind, and uh, there's like three initials, and I can't remember what it is. I'll have to let you. I have to get back to you on that one. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> so there's two left. What is next on your to be read pile? Oh, um, well, uh, it's not so much to be read; it's to be listened to. I've 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 usually got uh, on my Spotify episodes I usually have a big long list of um podcasts that I go oh that sounds great I'm going to listen to that one so for instance I'll just get my list up now so I've uh Naila's Natter podcast um which is a uh, a chat about the learning scientist new book I uh, spotted that I was like yes I'm gonna to have to listen to that I've got um Tea and Teaching Dan Fitzpatrick, why teachers should be great at using artificial intelligence. Because again, I had my first um, student try to cheat with chat GPT the other day. So I feel like I need to be a bit more savvy about using that. Um, Oh, and I tell you what's been really good as well, which is, again, it's not quite teaching related, but it's a fantastic resource for Key Stage 4 particularly, is it's a Radio 4 podcast called In Our Time with Melvin Bragg. And they've got little like 45 minute episodes, but they're about all kinds of really interesting historical events. So there was one there on Charles Dickens. There's been ones on the Edwardian period, um, if you're doing like an inspector calls at GCSE. Um, but science based, maths based, it's not just English. There's all kinds of different subjects on there. So it's great for setting homeworks because <laughs> you can get them to listen to a podcast and <laughs> make some notes on it. But yeah, so um, quite an eclectic mix of of pods, really. But that's uh, what I try and do is just keep up. Just, it's the only way I can keep up to speed with everything that's going on yeah. is to listen to it rather than read it. <laughs> I like it when people have given examples that are outside of teaching, like, like that Radio 4 podcast you've just mentioned, because it shouldn't be that we're just doing everything because else we become very insular as teachers talking to teachers about teaching. Actually, getting some of that outside input is probably very important oh i tell you what one thing I, I haven't mentioned that i really should um is uh ollie lavelle's podcast um the education research reading room they're they're much more in depth they're longer they tend to be like maybe even two two and a half hours long but they're so interesting and if you can um if you can i can never listen to one in one go i usually like you know, 20 minutes here and there but he has such fantastic guests on. And because he has the long format, he's able to really dig into the detail. Um, so that's another one that I'd, I'd highly recommend listening to. And of course, he's got he's got books and, and blogs out there as well. Um, but the podcast just give a nice overview of the, the most recent research. So I think the last one, again, I think you might have a slightly different perspective on. So the last one is doesn't exist, but should. So it could be that there's maybe an area that you've been really interested in. You just can't find a book on it, or you've read lots of bits and pieces about something and you wish it had been all together in one place or different people have interpreted this one in different ways, but doesn't exist, but you think should. Oh, that is a great question. Um, the thing that springs to mind initially is, and I know there's been a few books recently on things like, you know, you're a new teacher, here's what you need to know. Um, but they tend to be quite generic on behavior management or uh, time management. Um, and as well as actually, you know, the teaching bit. I think um, probably is is actually maybe something that's that's I don't know um a bit more kind of here's what your first year is going to be like as a new teacher <laughs> like completely um no holds barred 
ups and downs, you know, um, maybe, maybe I'm giving away, maybe, maybe this is what I should be doing. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I should do something like this, but, uh, yeah, I suppose just the, the really fundamental things of what to expect when you become, uh, when you get into teaching for the first time, but also I suppose, uh, how, how to hand, you know, just, just how to deal with the everyday part of the job, you know, the day to day going from one class to another, um, part of teaching. I think, um, it is a big shock, you know, it's a, it's a massive culture shock. And I think, again, it's, it's something that we just kind of accept, you know, the more experienced teachers just accept, well, that's, that's just, that's just what everybody has to do. But why do, why does it have to be like that? You know, we could maybe give them a, a bit more of a heads up before we chuck them in the pool, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but again, I, I, you could say, you know, wouldn't it be great if you had um, all these edgy books all in one place for somebody coming in uh, to, to research for the first time. But you would just, there's just too much. There's just too much to, to, to have it all in the same place. So, no, I think, I think that the way, the things that people are doing, um, the authors that are out there at the moment, um, you know, I, I really appreciate that the authors that we've been talking about, I think they've, they've done a fantastic job really helping people like me, you know, new, new teachers out, um, so yeah, other than that, I think I can't think of anything else off the top yeah. <laughs> just at the moment. Yeah. No, I think that's a really awkward question, but people have given such interesting answers. I thought about cutting it early on and I thought, well, no, I'm gonna keep that in there now because yeah. I'm I'm getting some really interesting responses from it. Yeah. So that's it. That that brings us to the end. We have spoken for just over an hour, which actually is a record. Oh uh, right, okay. of the conversations <laughs> I've had. Um, yeah, so um, probably that's that's a lot of me just waffling on. So you know, you might get to edit that down quite a bit. I would imagine. <laughs> I know. I've really enjoyed speaking to you, um, and uh, yeah, thank you for your time. I oh, really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you very much for having me on. Are you interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Or to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. A really varied conversation with Kaylee there. Next week, I'm excited to be bringing you Bradley Bush of Inner Drive. His books have been mentioned in a few episodes now, so it's great to be having him on. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.